Welcome back to Subspace Radio. It is me, Rob, and joining me as always is Kevin. How are you? I'm a card-carrying member of the Cellar Door Society, Rob. That's how I'm doing. Damn right you are. Damn right you are. Holodeck Mysteries, sign me up. <laughs> we are here to discuss uh, two episodes of Star Trek for you. Prodigy is hurtling towards their season finale. We have Ghost in the Machine and Mind Walk to discuss, and that's also branched us out, as always, every week to talk about, uh, to discuss a larger topic in relation to Star Trek. And this week, we'll be going into the depths of uh, the Hollow Deck and what that means for uh, the cast and crew of whatever Star Trek series we want to focus on, and whether it's just there for novelty, for leisure, or does it help them... <laughs> Yeah, heal themselves. I'm really looking forward to finding out which episodes you've picked, Rob, oh. because there is a large oeuvre. I feel like we could do easily three episodes about holodeck, holodeck episodes of the past. Well, so. it is it is something that is very much uh, a beast of the new generation of, of Star mm. Trek that was frontiered by, that's a real word, uh, mm -hmm. by the yep. Next Generation crew. And that has led the way for Deep Space Nine and, of course, uh, Voyager to just run ragged with the concept of, uh, of the Holodeck episode. I have it on good authority that there are some episodes of the animated series in which the original Enterprise is established to have a recreation deck that can recreate holographic environments. So neither of us knows about those episodes, so if you're sitting out there thinking, oh, you missed the best holodeck episode, it's because we haven't watched the animated series. Exactly. Yet. And we ha and we have on record, it is out there in subspace it's radio world that we will be doing a, um, a, a marathon of it together. We're do it. If only Star Trek was about to take a break for a couple of months. If only, and if only, you know, some of us were going on holidays for some mm. extended period of time. Oh, mm. but well, let us go on to, uh, uh, the the deck of the protostar let's discuss how the crew are dealing with their situation last time we found them they were deep in uh the neutral zone they are being uh chased by rear admiral janeway's ship and all hell is breaking loose they cannot make contact otherwise the device within the protostar will corrupt everything that is federation how are they going to move to their next step, their next uh, plan of making contact, but also keeping free and their dream of reaching Federation? Will they ever have that happen? So two episodes down, Ghost of the Machine is the first one we're going to focus on. Um, so, Kevin, I will turn to you. How did you find this particular episode? Uh, I thought it was great fun. In in the tradition of holodeck episodes that should not be taken too seriously, Uh I felt like this was another uh, character-revealing episode of Prodigy. Mm. We had Preludes not too long ago. Sorry, sorry, Probably sorry. Got sorry, to see their... sorry, what was that? We had Preludes. <laughs> 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 what other ways can we say? Which, yeah, um, add as many different syllables as you want. I love it. That's right. Uh, we had that episode that explored their backstories, and now we are like revealing their their secret pastimes. Mm. The things they they do when they're alone on the holodeck are now all out there for them all to know about, and it's a great excuse to kind of get under the skin of these characters, who uh, you know, obviously they have some secrets from each other. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept which we'll be exploring into, and you mentioned it about the holodeck episode can be an episode of 
frivolity and a bit of silliness. I've got a bit too excited and used up two of my most uh, favorite holodeck uh-huh. episodes in a previous story. So those ones yes. particularly uh, take me out to the hollow suite is very, very light and fluffy. However, there are uh, episodes in there that can have some some hitting stuff. And this has a sinister little tinge to it with how far this uh, contaminated program has fitted within the protostar, so much so that it's actually infected the Janeway hologram and causing her to manipulate the crew against yeah. her uh, yeah, without her knowledge, which is like some actually really sinister stuff to have that brought into the show. It is a perfect blend in my mind of um, an excuse to reveal character by going on this varied whistle-stop tour of their, their you know, spare-time holo programs and seeing the variety of what these kids have created for themselves on the holodeck is really exciting. The fact that Zero loves solving mysteries <laughs> uh, and Jenkum thinks that's dumb and would prefer to fight street fights to work out his, his demons. Uh, like, that kind of thing really fun. And then the fact that it is all like the plot aspect of this is this blend of their favorite pastimes was created maliciously by evil hologram Janeway uh, asking the computer to create a a distraction for them Mm -hmm. while she cleverly extracts Dal's command codes and then takes the ship off into Federation space. Uh, I I love that the the mix of the light and fluffy, the fun, the character stuff, but just simmering beneath the surface and revealed at the end is that nasty twist that advances the plot of the season. In a in a yeah, as you say, a a creepy way. Uh, I really loved it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Kate Mulgrew does does beautiful work in showing that real horror and shock that she's a, a liability and she had no idea of it. Oh, is- a couple of really beautiful, like the two things that I love the most that gave me the tingles in this episode. And it's just because I'm that kind of nerd. We'll come back to this when we talk about the holodeck episodes that I've picked out. But the moment at the start where they realize we never left the holodeck. Yeah. That gives me the Star Trek tingles. It's a really I show clever up for that sort of it's stuff. It's a really clever moment. Yeah, it's it, it's actually beautifully done that they've gone with never we haven't actually left is a beautiful reveal. Yeah. And similarly, at the end, the reveal that this whole time Janeway has been programmed to not work in their interests, but in the interests of destroying the Federation. Because that ship uh, wants to get to Federation space. It wants yeah. to infect the entire Federation. And the only reason she has not undermined them before now is that their interests were aligned. Mm. Uh, and that that creepy sense that the logic was there waiting to, like, the trap was there waiting to be sprung this whole time. Uh, that also gave me the ooh, the chills of wow that is that is good I love that twist yeah I'll have to put on my Kevin Yank hat of um, mm. being a stippler for some of the little minor details because we have explored earlier in the season the fact that they've just gone right well we can't go to Federation but yeah. we will 
keep doing the good work of Federation. So they kind of, there was that point there a couple of weeks ago where they just went, we're going to do the job of Federation without going to Federation. So it's, yeah. so, so finding that logic jump of going, okay, so this one in particular, this moment where they've got... Okay, it is a bit not. ambiguous. I think what they would have us believe is that their their previous missioning was still in service of setting themselves up to join the Federation. Yeah. Now, w- would Janeway trust that that would also set up the protostar to set off its bomb within mm. the federation i think we it was as you say established pretty early that that was what the crew was trying to avoid yeah so, yeah maybe it doesn't quite add up but this is the thing about star trek is when the writing is good when the characters are rich you don't you're happy to suspend disbelief and go along with the story even if it's a little tenuous look and we are all nerds so they got us in with the fact that of course zero is a nerd as well and wants to do an escape room so yes. you know that that's gonna immediately that's our kryptonite as nerds go no we all want to do escape rooms and zero how did you feel about your favorite character gwyn not having a holodeck pastime yeah 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 i i i, I was um <laughs> <laughs> I always like to bring it into other franchises. There's a great episode of uh, Red Dwarf where they all uh, get stuck in their own uh, fantasy world. Um, but the ship's computer, Holly, doesn't. And they go, what did you get? Oh, mustn't, mustn't have any fantasies. Otherwise, that or the screen was fuzzy. And yeah. you go, all right, okay, that's a good cop out. So um, I'd be very interested to see, you know, where where Gwyn would go to relax, but she has given herself the characterization of she doesn't really do that. She like, doesn't relax. She's too serious. Like the fact that she doesn't have a hollow program is the interesting information we got. The most relaxed we got her that episode was her using the whipped cream and just pouring it directly <sighs> into her mouth after the question, what? who would whip cream? <laughs> what? What psychopath would whip cream? <laughs> I do like the fact that they have, you know, they've combined... Uh, ice cream and emotional eating, uh, very much. So you're feeling bad. Here's a scoop of ice cream. Mm. You're feeling you're feeling depressed as well. Here's another scoop of ice cream. So, I mean, one of the things I think I've mentioned it earlier. The like the vistas and the space uh, um, landscape shots that we've got are incredible. Some of the facial expressions have a little to be desired, especially like a Jankum and um, yeah. some of the others. So it's all on the vocal performances, but just what they got with the subtlety out of Janeway, like pretty much a cliffhanger on her shock and horror at the end of the episode was, uh, was quite well done. There are moments where you can see they've invested the extra effort. The one that comes to mind for Jenkum Pog in this episode is when they're eating the ice cream and Jenkum's like, oh, I would really love to, what did he say? What I wouldn't give to slap his soggy jowls. He t- he's talking about Dr. Noom, the, mm-hmm. the mean Tellarite doctor uh, on Janeway's ship. And we've all had that. Uh, and then we've all had that. He says, what I wouldn't give to slap his soggy jowls, with words, of course. And you see him like catching himself there. And there is a thing that goes on on his face because later we see that he's he has actually been slapping his soggy jowls in, <laughs> in the Street Fighter program on the holodeck. That's right. But what he says to his friends is, oh, I'm growing. I'm maturing. I, I can fight with my words. Yeah. And you see, there is something that they've clearly purposefully animated on his face where like, 
what's going on in his head is different than what he's saying out loud. Yes. I, I applaud the subtlety. I think it's that moment succeeded. But those moments are the exception uh, where they have taken a little extra care in a, a point where they feel the acting is important. Definitely, definitely. And I do like the fact they um, uh, connected Prodigy to Lower Decks with one of the holodeck simulations turning black and white when they went into, yeah. when they went into the key club. Oh, established, of course, in Star Trek Voyager. I don't know if that's on your list, but uh, <laughs> we'll have, we've seen some black and white Colodex before. We have. I'll have to wait for um, that part of the episode. So, um, yeah, there wasn't much in the way of pushing forward, but there was definitely another big obstacle. And with any of these type of series, the threat now is from within, which is that, you know, yeah. the big sinister reveal of, so like, it was one of us. Um, which was uh, interesting. I never thought they would go for that that turn. There was that extra uh, twist of the knife that um, the person who has been their mentor and their trusting advisor and their source of inspiration really has um, has you know unwittingly been behind this problem. Uh, let's talk about Mindwalk. Um, what did you think of oh. our, our body swap comedy? Look, we are back to a body swap episode. Um, it wouldn't be... I know! Two in, two in one year, I think? The other one was Strange New Worlds, Strange. where uh, Spock and T'Pring have their hijinks. That's right. It was there. Yes. Oh, well. It's interesting with with uh, the Strange New Worlds one when you've got two Vulcans swapping with each other, so it's an act of subtlety. With here, yes. they've gone. This is this is this is where the money is. This is where if you're gonna do a body swap episode, do it between like a rear admiral and a teenage slash clone genetic experiment. That's that's where the good thing is. That's where you want to see Kate Mulgrew, uh-huh. you know, acting her socks off, acting all teenagery and doing the the finger guns. And even though it's uh-huh. animated, I could see Jay. I could see Kate Mulgrew doing that. Every comedy moment in this episode for me had two waves and the first was me laughing at the character and then the second was me laughing at Kate Mulgrew having <laughs> such a great time <laughs> oh and the like incredible moments of you know Janeway meeting Janeway yeah and we so, got it you yeah. called it we yeah. got it but it wasn't even Janeway it was it was dull Janeway yeah oh well ultimately yeah. they did give us the, the they did do the Mulgrew on Mulgrew scene oh, look. that we were craving oh to you know to quote Bruce McAvaney oh I would have passed out oh, I nearly passed out Kevin oh it was too <laughs> much Mulgrew for my, I'm there going I want more of it and they gave it to me be careful what I wish for oh I nearly had a heart attack when they when they like pan the camera across yes. so that they can switch which character we're seeing, beautiful. I, I was like, well done. Mm. I applaud a show that is willing to give the audience what they want, even though it may not technically make sense. Like all of us were willing to go there at that point, yeah, and accept that for the next few minutes we would be watching two Janeway standing together and they trust the audience to understand what they did and to know that it's Dal's body there, even though what we are watching is, is not literally what is occurring. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing about animation is they, you know, not only are you having to create an entire character and create an entire environment and world, you're yeah. also using those film techniques and those cinema techniques and how you do those tricks and gimmicks that have been used through cinema over a hundred years. 
We've got to do an episode on non-naturalism in Star Trek because it's rare, but it is good when it happens. Very much so. And that and it's, been, it's been used thousands upon millions of times of that transition from behind a character's head to see the character shift back. We've seen it multiple times, especially in these body swappy type episodes, and to see it in animation form. We accepted it as fans, but also it's an animated show. We can accept it even more so there, but to go through the process of as if it were real life, like with real actors on on a set, was was a remarkable thing to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the with all that fun and to have those profound moments, it was a very you know, yeah, I I did you know well up a bit. It was a beautiful moment with this these two versions and that- oh, and yeah, that poignant moment contrasted with the. Full-on slapstick comedy. Uh, <laughs> this is not the comedy series of Star Trek. That's Lower Decks at the moment. Yeah. But I'm going to say this was the funniest half hour of Star Trek I have ever seen. Yeah. This this is funnier than anything Star Trek has ever done for me. And some really clever stuff in there as well, like funny, silly stuff like slapstick comedy in animation form is what, you know, you know, it was built for animation was built for if you look at the the you know the greats of Tex Avery and Robert McKimson and Bob Clampett and Chuck Jones in the in the Warner Brothers days of Looney Tunes and um the great you know physical comedy uh, animation in anime but to bring it in this form which is so based on like the restrictions of movement and the limited uh movement and physicality there to yeah. bring in moments like slipping off the chair, which is hilarious. It was working on every level. Yeah, reacting uh, when he could, when Janeway Dahl could figure out the the charades. Yes, <laughs> and then being caught by them. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, how's it all <laughs> Just keeping the old body <laughs> doing the in doing the stretches. Shape. Yeah, doing the uh, just stretching up here. Uh um. The yeah, the physical comedy was there, the voice work was there, and the script was there. Uh, just the first line of "Hello, Starfleet person, <laughs> I am the Admiral." Obviously, thank you for your service during. Ah, red alert! It was just. <laughs> oh. It had me from the first moment and it didn't let go. Yeah, it was hilarious and beautiful as well. And finally, like for me, because I've been so anxious about the fact i mean i've got invested in the storytelling of it in a weekly you know episodic nature but i'm there going uh-huh. okay finally okay janeway's on track now she knows everything now she knows why sure yeah. at the end of the episode she's in prison because her silliness behavior is all that type of stuff i'm there going she knows she's been figuring That's it out good that yeah. was earned yes like you were talking last week about um how you did you were you were not enjoying the twists or the the stretching it out of Janeway thinking the the kids were the bad guys. Yes, like you're like, oh come on, I know we got to do it. I know that's that's television drama nowadays, but it's tedious. This to me feels like the opposite of that, where it was fresh and it was earned. Right. Yeah. Well, especially I'm. That's just me frustrated because yeah. I'm invested in the story, and so yeah. when it when we finally got the payoff this week, I went, that's good storytelling. That's uh-huh. great for Janeway to be there in Dahl's body to just look around and go, so you couldn't do any of this. You have been protecting Starfleet. You guys are more Starfleet than anyone. Um, and then, of course, revealing the tragic uh, truth of he's genetically augmented. He can't. Oh, when she said he's an augment yeah. and 
all of us Star Trek fans know what that means. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. I can't stop quoting this episode. <laughs> I changed my mind, not in a weird way, but in a totally normal way. I can change my mind. <laughs> Sitting there in the captain's chair, That's giving right. the finger guns. <laughs> uh, it was absurd that the like Admiral Janeway's crew did not relieve her of duty sooner. Sure yeah. But again, when everything else is working, we're happy to go there. We're happy to suspend disbelief to go on the ride. Yeah, and to get to that point where, yeah, of course they're, they're going to be thrown into the brig. Of course it's going to happen, but there's no other option. But yeah. it was a hell of a ride to get as many finger guns and stretching <laughs> out and, you know, calling red alerts and stuff like that. And, you know, not in a weird way. Um, <laughs> fantastic. In many ways, I don't know if I've seen Dahl that much as a kid uh, especially because he's being quite broody and trying to figure out who he is for the last couple of episodes. I've got this is him, you know, you know, teenagered up to about 150. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, it all they maybe turned it up to 11, but I felt like we'd seen the the 10 version from him. Previously. We have, yeah, not for a while. Quite recently, it's been a lot of broody stuff because he's been, you know, jealous of. Um, of uh, Billy Campbell coming back yeah. with an eye patch, or he's been. And we have to recognize Brett Gray as well, who the contrast of him playing Janeway in Dal's body was also like, to me, it highlighted the things that we were seeing of Dal in Janeway's body. Uh, the, the difference was oh. remarkable, and it did play as the Janeway we know. He did an incredible job. Brett did an incredible job, especially that first moment when. It cuts back and Janeway is there saying, I understand now. I understand everything. And you just feel that relief. But also, you know, I've been wanting to see, you know, Mulgrew with Mulgrew. But I was kind of a little disappointed as well going, I'm totally fine with keeping with Brett's voice with this interaction because he did such a great job in capturing that essence. Because in many ways, he had the less showboaty role yeah. he you know janeway in the rear admiral form is just that subtlety with the vocal changes was beautiful as opposed to where kate mulgrew just had all the fun yeah, yeah. so but it, it wouldn't have worked if brett didn't capture the essence of kate mulgrew's janeway so beautifully it was a very beautiful nuanced performance yeah i was impressed by like kate mulgrew as janeway she has got that um, it's a very unique voice that's that's um, it's been parodied at times, hmm. but it, it is it has got a, a a timber that's it's it's reminiscent of the gravelly captains that we have had in men in the past, but it's the higher like female yes. uh, range, uh, and it's very unique. And I feel like whatever Brett was doing was capturing that in his that same thing in his his teenage boy voice. Yeah, um, that it had that same gravelly aspect that we we recognize from Janeway that uh, I, I, like really sold it for me. Yeah, it's not really a twang, but there is no. a definite. Yeah, maybe it's a twing uh, of <laughs> her voice, and, and I mean, I've only just realized this um, recently. Kate Mulgrew is not new to the world of voiceover acting. She um, uh, was incredible as Red Claw in the early 90s Batman animated series. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so she went up as this uh, international um, uh, criminal mastermind called Red Claw who goes up against Batman. So she was there um, uh, fighting 
uh, Kevin Conroy, uh, lest we forget, um, as Batman and uh, Selena Kyle as Catwoman. So she did a couple of episodes back in the you know that iconic, uh, award-winning, uh, great classic Batman series, the animated series back in the early nineties. That's uh, where I first got uh, to know her before she moved into um, uh, full body form in, uh, mm. in 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 Star Trek. Yeah, wow. Well, the experience definitely showed here. <laughs> Very much so. And it ends on the ultimate cliffhanger. We've got the uh, protostar surrounded by not all the California class. But, yeah, uh, I am I am well and truly over these um, 100 ships arrive at the same place within a second of each other shots. We are um, we are the I, good old days of Star Trek where, you know, if you just, you know, you don't have any reinforcement, it's you versus the other ship. Yeah. I, I mean, even if you buy that the entire fleet is going in one place, the idea that they would dramatically drop out of warp at the exact same moment is illogical. I, and every time it does, it t- it pulls me out of the reality of the show. I still, I, I do find that they're just all there for one ship. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Haven't yeah. you got other stuff to do, people? What exactly is the emergency? Yeah. Like, we know the peril that the Federation is in, but they don't know. Yes. And the, it is that case of, well, the the peril is for us because we know what will happen. So mm. in normal situations, they just call an extra ship or two. But no, they have to call all those ships there. So it, and they're going, yeah, that's more for us as it is for the actual reality yeah. that they're in. Oh, well, I, I still am very much looking forward to the next two episodes, which are our season finale in two parts. Supernova, uh, apparently. Supernova. Let's, yeah, uh, let's talk about some holodecks. Let's talk about some holodeck episodes. I went on a bit of an adventure. I went up and down and around. I looked at uh, numerous sites for, you know, they listed like top 10, top 15 holodeck episodes from all of Star Trek. Um, And so, uh, would you like to go first with uh, your first one? I will start us where the holodeck began, which is in The Next Generation. Excellent. uh, And I feel like, much like the transporter was established in the creation of the original series as an engine for stories to occur, Gene Roddenberry put the holodeck on the Enterprise-D as a tool for stories to be told. Mm -hmm. And very quickly... Uh, the writers of that show started telling stories. In season one, we had the award-winning episode, The Big Goodbye. But I'm going to skip over that one because it is very first holodeck episode. And beyond that, it's a little unremarkable. If you And that's in it. season one as well, isn't it? Yeah, I thought yeah. the holodeck ones didn't come until later. It's remarkable they hit it so early on. A uh, One of the few high points of season one. Like, <laughs> season one's pretty rough, but The Big Goodbye is worth a rewatch mm. for sure. But the first one that jumps out to me is, well, this is a pair of episodes, and it starts in season two of The Next Generation, episode three, Elementary Dear Data, which is, it has already been established that Data is a Sherlock Holmes nerd. Yes. This is the... This is the time where Jordy takes him on a holodeck date and is like, guess what? I booked the holodeck for us. We're going to play Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, Data Im- instantly solves all the mysteries because he has an encyclopedic knowledge of all the novels. 
Jordy is not too careful with his wording to the computer and creates an arch nemesis capable of defeating data in the form of uh, Dr. Moriarty. Um, Played by the brilliant Daniel Davis, uh, Niles from The uh, the Nanny as uh, Moriarty. He's an incredible actor. He was, uh, I don't know why he was slumming it in The Nanny for so long. Wonderful, incredible, charismatic performer and does incredible work as Moriarty. Yeah. Now... This episode is not my favorite holodeck episode. Again, it suffers from being very early where they were still, you know, the characters were walking around going, oh, look at all these details. Haven't you been on a holodeck before, Doctor? Not one of this sophistication. Like, right. it was very on the nose that you could tell the, 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 the writers were still figuring out what to do with this thing as a tool. So they had the characters walking around agog at the the technology, which is a bit boring. But what stands out to me in this, uh, and it's very similar to what happened in the Prodigy episode that we looked at, Ghost in the Machine. In Ghost in the Machine, Janeway, or Hologram Janeway, gives the order, create a hollow program to keep the crew distracted indefinitely. No restrictions. Mm. And the computer just generates some stuff. (laughs) <laughs> like the computer does a remarkable job with that the, that very basic instruction of creating something, and you wonder just how amazing are these computers that they can create this stuff. It is a bit of the magic wand going. Um, it's science. Yeah, yeah. And in this episode, Jordy says, in the Holmesian style, create a mystery to confound Data with an opponent who has the ability to defeat him. And it is also very much like the computer just does it. It just does it. And, you know, it has a bit of a power surge in the process that Worf notices on the bridge, but it creates a sentient hologram out of nowhere. And later, Geordi is apologizing to Captain Picard for not choosing his words more carefully. And I'm thinking, (laughs) if the hologram is that dangerous that if you give it the wrong order, it's going to create a life form, uh, I think maybe, uh, maybe... We need to go back to the drawing board with this piece of entertainment technology this, that we're putting this, on starships. This should not be used. Let's let's yeah. stop using it. The uh, safety protocols break down in this episode, not for the first time, uh, but in in this early episode, they call it the mortality failsafe has broken down, <laughs> which <laughs> I thought that was a that was a particularly awkward turn of phrase. Oh look, anyway. my, my my mortality as failsafes have have been failing over the last couple of years. So, <laughs> mortality and morality. So I know, I know the feeling. Um, <laughs> The reason I bring this up, though, is I want to pair it with the sequel episode in season six of The Next Generation, episode 12, Ship in a Bottle, in which Moriarty returns. At the end of Elementary Dear Data, they realize they have created this this seemingly sentient hologram. They don't know what to do with him. They promise him that they will put him in active memory and they will revive him when they they have figured out how to let him live a life. Mm. And in Ship in a Bottle, uh, he accidentally gets reactivated and is outraged that no one has done anything about him yet in the four years that he has been dormant in the computer's memory. He decides to take matters into his own hands. And the way he does it is by tricking the crew members into thinking they have left the holodeck when actually they haven't. And it has the exact same thing that we saw in uh, Ghost in the Machine where there is that deeply creepy moment 
where Data throws a tool to Jordy and Jordy catches it in the wrong hand, revealing that he is a holodeck simulation. And uh, Data turns to Picard and says, Captain, we never left the holodeck. <laughs> and you're, you're, your stomach sinks and you you get the the tingles and it is it is just as powerful way back in TNG. So that's the one I really wanted to bring to the table here is ship in a bottle. It is beautiful that they they solve the challenge by doubling down. They create a holodeck within a holodeck within the holodeck. <laughs> and it is a beautiful, twisty logic episode of TNG, much like uh, one of my other favorites, Cause and Effect, that we talked about yes. recently. Um, yeah, ship in a bottle. See it. And without giving anything away, if you have watched the trailers and the previews for the upcoming season three of Picard, Definitely rewatch this one before season three of Picard. Well, I that's say thing. no more. That's the thing. I'm a I'm a massive uh, Holmesian uh, Holmesian fan. I've been ever since I was in high school, and so I remember I sought out watching, uh, but I only thought there was one episode. So yeah. I think I may have only I, I may have only seen the second one because I do remember. Oh, good. Well, that's I do the remember one to see. The first one is is still quite awkward, and I feel like. Uh, Moriarty's character is not fully formed as well. He's a bit of a, a stereotypical arch villain, whereas yeah. he's got a lot more to work with in the second episode, where not only is he playing the lair of Moriarty, the fictional character, he is also playing the lair of Moriarty, who has learned he is a holographic recreation with agency. Yeah, I do remember. Very rich. For I that do reason. remember that. I do remember Moriarty out in the real world type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I will go back and revisit those because I have seen the trailer for Series Three of Picard, and there is a certain yeah. appearance which I was very excited to see mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Well, speaking of um, uh, oh, the journey that I went on. Uh, Kevin, which led me back all the way home. Of course, I could go far and wide, but there's only yes. one place that I can come back to. I could come back to Torak Nor with Deep Space <laughs> Nine. And when it comes to uh, self-aware hologram programs, uh, there's no better than let's go back to the very first episode of the light bulb himself, Mr. Vic Fontaine, um, in a very important episode for me and the importance of uh, what a holodeck program can do for an individual's confidence and personality. Let's go to his way with my favorite character, Odo. We've had six years of Will They, Won't They with Odo and Kira and the one episode where they finally get together and all thanks to the uh, matchmaking work of uh, Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine, a holodeck character who, unlike the Doctor, unlike Moriarty, I feel like there is never a sense that Vic Fontaine has overcome his programming and is ready to step into the real world as a life form, and yet no less interesting as a character for it. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I I respect the line that they walked with Vic Fontaine that they they created a a character that meant something to the audience without performing a magic trick and saying he's a real person. <laughs> it was very much a case of he's a hologram. He knows he's a hologram. Um, yeah. There is a, a journey within his character over. Um, He's only really in Star Trek for a couple of episodes. In uh, from so he appears in episode twenty of season six, 
and then uh, his episode appearances are quite infrequent. But he does make big leaps and bounds as a character within that, but there's not this existential type of uh, crisis with him. It's just a case of what he likes to work within within his little sphere, uh, played brilliantly by James Darren, uh, who you'll all remember as the young hotshot traveller through time in the time tunnel, um, uh, all grown up as the crooner here. Um, and this is his first appearance, so they spend a lot of top-heavy start of this episode explaining mm. everything, of going, yes, he knows who he is, and this is how they did it through this program here and here and here and here. Um, so you have to get through all that Star Trek layers of description before you get to the meat of the episode, which is uh, Odo um, seeking relationship advice from Vic Fontaine. What I love about Star Trek and they do it throughout their entire life, is build up this mythology, this almost magical type of perception of Earth past. So 1950s Vegas is this, they speak in this weird, you know, this weird language and they talk about people that you they- You get the sense it's like the way we play Dungeons and Dragons today, <laughs> that it's a, it's a very fictionalized version of a period of history. Very and much that's so. That's what the 1950s are in Star Trek. Very much. A lot of beautiful backlighting of the colorful lights on the stage to really you know, illuminate almost this, uh, uh, this light behind, this godly type of angelic light behind Vic, um, which is, of course, explored the realities of that with Cisco later on in Bada Bing Bada Bang, where he's refusing to go there because of what the 1950s meant to black Americans, which is a beautiful dose of reality that's, um, yeah, that Avery Brooks just goes, let's bring that twist in. Um, but at this point, it's this, yeah, he's almost, he's Cupid. He's this magical musical creature to be there to uh, guide Odo through. And it's beautiful to watch, uh, re-watching it today, how far the characters have come, especially because the last time we talked about um uh, these characters, we were looking at their appearances when they were during the occupation of Bajor. Mm -hmm. So we had a very dark and very gritty um, quark. We had a, a, a tenacious, aggressive, violent Kira. We had a cold, um, distant uh, Odo. And here with season six, we've got... <laughs> we've got Odo and Quark hanging out in Odo's uh, quarters and, and Odo's like confessing to him what he has to do <laughs> and Odo's just there I just came here to report some some disturbances and then you just started opening up about your feelings <laughs> can I go oh, now so good how far those characters get to go and they've still got that start. that bitiness there but it's beautiful and especially um uh Kira and Odo as well I love I mean I'm all I'm always a sucker for the the awkward Romeo and the distant Juliet but it's just beautifully played. And yeah, Rene Bourgeois and Nina Vista are just incredible actors. And, and to finally have them, yeah, you believe this. You believe this. You can see the friendship that they developed over six years. You can see this relationship that these characters have had for, 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 for over a decade. And you can see um, this romance finally happening and I, I remember the first time i saw it i'd like cheered and mm. got up on my seats when i was like a, a you know you know gosh i was in the early 20s when i first saw it and watching it again today yeah it's it was a great use of the the holodeck and using that earth's past 
you know, no nonsense, no caught up in the the jargon and the rigmarole of the Star Trek world to just have you know someone call someone a pally, and um, let's let, let you know let's do this. You got to experiment. You got to practice. You know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall, pally boy? You got to practice, practice, practice. Some of these moments that are so rich in later Star Trek series are to me they are like expanded versions of something that happened in a small way earlier in Star Trek history. This episode where Vic Fontaine becomes Odo's relationship counselor is, to me, it's an expansion of an idea that we saw way back in TNG with Data going on the holodeck to get advice from a stand-up comic on how to be funny. Yeah. It's a very short sequence. It's played for laughs. It's in the episode The Outrageous Okona, which has a link to uh, the recent appearance of Okona in Prodigy. This is season two, episode four of TNG. But in it, Joe Piscopo uh, performs as a stand-up comic who's like coaching Data on how to be funny. I was about to ask who, I was there. For whatever reason, I'm going, it had to be Joe Piscopo because he was doing like, his best Jerry Lewis impersonation. Because <laughs> he was everywhere and then he was nowhere. Like, yeah. in, I remember in the 80s, he was like, it was him and Eddie Murphy were the two stars on Saturday Night Live. And then Piscopo, he went nowhere. So, all I'm saying is Vic Fontaine owes everything to Joe Piscopo. <laughs> and rightly so. And there's a beautiful moment because. Um, yeah, going back and rewatching it for this show, watching the beautiful duet between Avery Brooks and James Darren at the end of Better Bing, Better Bang with the uh, best is yet to come. Yeah. Um, but in this episode, uh, Odo comes in to hand in his reports to Cisco, who's got a very minor role. He's only in it for like this one scene. And um, Odo's there waiting and he just starts starts humming and singing. And Cisco goes, oh, no, keep going. And then they start doing a little bit of singing together. It's a beautiful little cute moment, like in the height of the Dominion. You know, he wasn't fighting. always grumpy, that Odo. He wasn't always. And, and neither was, uh, was Cisco. It's a beautiful no. moment. Um, so, yeah, that was my uh, uh, first taste of how, um, you know, the hologram can do well. And the welcome introduction of uh, Vic Fontaine into the Star Trek universe. Uh, you mentioned Bada Bing, Bada Bang as well, which we've talked about before. So there are at least one or two other Vic Fontaine-focused episodes. Is is that another one that's on your list? There is. There's the one that we, the next prominent one, the, this is like, if we're doing the Vic Fontaine trilogy, there's this mm. one's number. This is the New Hope. The next one I was going to focus on was the Empire Strikes Back, and of course we've done Return of the Jedi with. But All right, let's go main. straight into that. Yes, so we're going into uh, season seven, episode ten. It's only a paper moon, which is. I was hoping this would be on your list. Yeah, um, it's yeah. incredible episode. I mean, uh, the MVP for this season and for most of Star Trek. Um, was Aaron Eisenberg, who is um, sadly missed, uh, was incredible, incredible character actor. And the this is his, like, shining uh, achievement in all of his time on Deep Space Nine. It's an incredible story. It's in the height of the Dominion War. A couple of episodes beforehand, uh, Nog had been, um, uh, was on uh, assignment with um, some of the other members of Deep Space Nine. He was injured and he lost his leg. Um, and he's been in uh, therapy, getting a replacement leg, and this is his return to uh, Deep Space Nine, and he is clearly not coping. He is not coping at well. He's walking on a uh, on a cane 
which he doesn't need to use. Um, he's done with talking. He's done with all the talking with the with the shrinks, with the new Esri Dax, and the the doctors back on the station he was at. He just wants to be left alone. Uh, he spends all his time sleeping 18 hours, and when he's not sleeping, he's listening to the one song over and over again that uh, he listened to while he was on the operating table with his leg lost that Bashir played, which was Vic Fontaine singing, I'll be seeing you. Um, and he listens to it over and over again. And he finds himself late one night unable to sleep, and he goes into um, Vic Fontaine's uh, hologram, and he stays there. Uh, Vic, again, he went from being matchmaker to being a therapist to help try and get um, uh, Nog out of his um, PTSD and find himself mm. to become a, an active member within reality again. It's an incredibly powerful episode. It's a beautifully played story, um, not pulling any punches um, and dealing with, with trauma and guilt and pain and hurt and, and fear. It's played beautifully. And uh, Aaron is just, just knocks it out of the park. There's an incredible scene right at the end where he finally confronts uh, Vic about why he won't go back into the real world. And he's just, and it's the beauty of the, the, the magic of special effects and, and makeup that the Ferengi uh, makeup has been, developed so much so they can be worn and looks beautiful but you can have real emotion and tears and pain and anger come out of the actor's face and it doesn't withdraw doesn't take away from their performance at all and enhances it and so yeah, yeah it's through a, all that makeup uh you can through see all that the pain that he's in yeah uh, it's incredible work it's an amazing episode. It's a big episode for, for Nog, but it's also a big episode for Vic because Vic gets used to having Nog there and mm. Nog starts looking upon Vic's holographic world as more than that and how they can expand and build a new casino and make revenue. Vic stays on. His program stays on for longer than he is and he talks about the fact that he's, he's on for yeah an hour or two or a couple of minutes for just a song or maybe a bit longer for a romantic evening. But mm. this is the longest time that his program has been running. So he's starting to feel worn out and tired. He sleeps. He, he can travel to different places in, in his hologram world. Um, and he starts to get this ambition about building this new casino. And so when Esri comes to talk to him about, oh, this is all part of your plan to help with the healing. You don't care about all that stuff as well. You actually see in Vic's face going, oh, yeah, that's right. No, um, no it's just... Yeah, switch me off. I don't care. Switch me off. And, yeah, the great thing right at the end when Nog comes back in in uniform, there's a beautiful moment when he comes back down out of it. And um, it's just uh, incredible performances from Armin Shimmerman, from Max Gordoncheck as Rom and Chase Masterson as leader. They're just waiting. And he comes down and they go, you OK? He goes, no, I'm not. But, you know. I'm I'm ready to come back and freaking great. Uh, yeah, Ron a uh, Ron Moore episode. My favorite Star Trek writer by far. He gets all the kudos for the uh, political dramas. Yes, but a beautiful personal story here. If I'm not mistaken, there is no B plot here. Yeah, there are moments of like there are little bits of comedy when when Rom, Rom does describe him as my crazy one legged son. <laughs> But just like when Lita and Rom 
come to share the good news that Rom's been given a promotion. And they said, oh, we'll have to celebrate. He goes, well, we did last night. It was all impromptu. And then you see the shot of Esri talking to Vic and they cut back to this grieving father and, and stepmother not being able to communicate with their son. Yeah. Um, but the advancement of this light bulb, Pally Boy, as Vic calls himself, is at the end of the episode as a thank you gift. Nog has arranged it with Quark so that the program is running 26 hours a day. And that leads on into the problem that happens, of course, with uh, Bada Bing Bada Bang. But this yeah. jo- this joy, because at the end of um, uh, the previous episode, uh, His Way, um, Oda comes back at the end and says, thank you very much. He goes, hey, before you close the program, just let me finish off this one song. I feel like just singing. And at the end of this episode, he goes, you can sing as much as you want. The program's running all the time. It's a beautiful moment. Um, there you go. We've done the trilogy. Yeah. The oddest of orders, but... Uh... <laughs> Wibbly wobbly, timey-wimey, bit of Doctor Who stuff, Doug. I've got to bring that into this world. So, yeah, yeah again, top-notch performances and that joy of the romance of the revelation of his way, but balanced out beautifully here with the trauma of what Nog's going through and the the hope at the end. And I, I love that beautiful moment of him just admitting, him breaking down and going, I'm afraid, I'm just so scared. Um, and Vic saying, yeah, he's scared of dying. And Vic says, but you're dying in little pieces here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful moment. So yes, that's my. Uh, they're my two. Um, okay, what's, what's... I've got. Uh, so I've got one more pair of episodes. Yeah. Um, and it's Stratos TNG and Voyager. Ooh. So the TNG episode is season three, episode six, Booby Trap, in which the holodeck plays a very small part. This is an episode where the Enterprise gets uh, snared by a thousand-year-old trap in a war zone right and they need to find a way out of this in order to solve this problem Jordy, who starts the episode uh on a bad date on the holodeck and it, this this definitively establishes Jordy laforge as being hopeless in love nice uh, so he's feeling sorry for himself he's feeling quite lonely he has a great scene or two with Guinan bemoaning his his luck with the ladies but in this moment of crisis, he discovers the recorded logs of Dr. Leah Brahms, who helped to design the warp engines of the Enterprise. And who appeared in Lower Decks? Yes, yes. She, she appeared as an object of desire for nerds in Lower Decks. Damn right. And uh, this is the episode in which you get to find out why people lust after Leah Brahms. Um, but uh, Jordi is the first because one thing leads to another, and from these voice logs, he ends up prompting the holodeck to accidentally create Leah Brahms in person. He, he gives a, another one of these poorly worded orders that the holodeck goes way above and beyond to answer. Classic he says something like, show me which parts can handle the extra energy. And suddenly uh, a hand appears over his shoulder and taps the uh, the display and <laughs> Jordy goes, whoa, did I make that happen? And the computer says, yes, you asked Leah Brahms to show you the thing. So obviously I had to create a picture of Leah Brahms for you. Um, she is completely like devoid of emotion. She is just like an emotionless recreation of the picture of Leah Brahms. And at a certain point, Jordy, working long hours, goes, could you add a personality? 
Uh, and the computer goes, oh, I don't know about that. And he goes, well, did she ever debate at the, these, these intergalactic debates? And the computer goes, yeah. And he goes, do you got any log entries? And the computer goes, yeah. He goes, well, smash them all together and make a personality for me. And the computer goes, there'll be like a 20% error uh, on the personality I create. Jerry goes, I could live with that. And sure enough, she's brought to life in this very charming partner in crime in Jordy's efforts to design their way out of this booby trap. I bring this up just because, to me, this is fascinating. Once again, this idea that the holodeck can create the most amazing things with the most tenuous of inputs. Oh, look, with a couple of debates, you can have a personality <laughs> with 20% you know, difference. What it reminds me of in the here and now uh, for us, Rob, is what we're seeing happen with these machine learning powered artwork generators where you can type a description like, in a fine art style, show me a planet crashing onto an airship with elephants standing around partying. And it will crunch away and a few minutes later you'll have six versions of that prompt in a reasonable facsimile of something that a human artist would create. Uh, and I feel like when we first saw these episodes of the holodeck, I was like, well, that is the fantasy. That is the thing that will never happen. I completely disbelieve this. But inch by inch, these, these like computer programs that can take a giant amount of data and through a prompt, much like the ones Jordy gives to the holodeck in these episodes, Jordy says, in the Holmesian style, create a story to bamboozle data. Like, that's not far off from what we're now doing on our desktop computers with artwork. So it's feeling more and more reasonable and within reach, which is scary, frankly. It's uh, terrifying. That's why I haven't done any of the AI-generated uh, artwork. There is a, an ironic twist in this episode, Booby Trap, because the way out of the Booby Trap, ultimately, the, the one that Jordy is at first considering is to hand over control of the Enterprise to the computer, which can make course corrections more quickly than any human being. And Picard and Riker have a conversation about this where Riker skeptically says, well, computers have always impressed me with their ability to take orders. I'm not as convinced of their ability to creatively give them. Yeah. This, this after Moriarty has been created <laughs> on the holodeck. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is funny to watch the science fiction writers grapple with what is possible and what is not possible. What is plausible and what's over the line into the realm of fantasy? Well, especially this time in the late 80s, early 90s, it's that, you know, it really is the, the birth of this yeah. type of you know, AI and holographic uh what is reality type stuff had been explored in little bits but this is where they're going no let's bring this theory into drama on a television stage and the episode of voyager that i paired this with is season five episode eight nothing human which much as i described before is taking that same idea that we saw in a very tiny sequence of scenes in that episode of tng and blowing it out into a full length full episode what if in Nothing Human, Belana Torres gets attacked by a, a parasitic, non-humanoid alien uh, that kind of latches onto her and is killing her slowly but surely. And the doctor uh, on Voyager says, I don't know how to cure this. 
Uh, his exact words are, I may be a walking medical encyclopedia, but even I don't know everything. My matrix simply isn't big enough. And so the solution they come up with is to create another hologram, which Harry Kim, who is apparently expert enough as a holographic engineer to create, he, very much as we have seen from Jordy, throws a few records into a holographic matrix. The Ninja movie says is, add a recursive algorithm. That <laughs> solves everything on Voyager. Of course, yeah. Uh, and they create uh, a, a simulation of a famous xenobiologist who happens to be Cardassian. Ah. But he has the knowledge to heal uh, Bolana Torres. Predictably, Bolana is not happy about being having her life saved even by a simulation of mm -hmm. a Cardassian. And partway through the episode, this Cardassian is revealed to be a war criminal. But that was all off the... Like, none of that was ever formally discovered and therefore was not part of the records that were used to create the simulation. So the simulation is aghast. I, I didn't know I was a war criminal. I'm just a simulation. Are you going to judge me for the crimes oh, yeah. of the real person that I'm based upon? Uh, and so it does create... a. Uh, arguably meaty dilemma, an ethical dilemma for our characters to grapple with, but it's all stretched just a bit too thin over 45 minutes in this episode of Voyager. It's played very, very ham-fistedly. You see every twist coming yeah. a mile away, and um, yeah, they lay it on a bit thick. And finally, the holodeck is just a bit too magical in this episode for me. At one point... In order to try to figure out how to save Balana's life, the doctor, who is a hologram, collaborates with the Cardassian, who is also a hologram, to recreate on the holodeck a simulation of the Cardassian's uh, lab, his lab at home. And the Cardassian goes, oh, I wish I had my tools. I remember them in every detail. The simulation remembers them in every detail. Uh, so they create this simulation of a lab for two holograms. Then they bring a hologram of the alien into that holographic environment. And they start using holographic tools to try things out on this hologram. That, and somehow this, all of these simulations are supposed to add up to something that will work in practice on Bolana Torres lying, uh, lying in sickbay. It's all very unbelievable. That that's a that's a big magic wand. The computer that doesn't know things has created a simulation yeah. that can know things. There's a yeah, there's a lot of leaps of logic that you have to yeah. to get to that point. It's very much like a copy of a copy of a copy going. It's like yeah. in in uh, 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 Blade Runner where there's mm. that 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 the technology they had in eighties version of the future of yeah two thousand and nineteen that futuristic time of you know scanning in on a photo and then being able to turn the angle within a photo and get a clear view of it going <laughs> turn and enhance yeah. <laughs> just because i mentioned it earlier in the black and white episodes um we have we have on voyager the bride of chaotica which is a hilarious comedy romp again in which we yes. have kate mulgrew play very against character yeah very much Buck and you Rogers can tell style. the actor is loving it in a way that the audience loves the episode all the more for it um i have not seen it recently enough to get into the detail but this this list has reminded me that 
I should probably go back and watch Bride of Chaotica. Yes, again. it's a Tom Paris type of yeah. episode in the style of like your yeah, Buck Tom Rogers. Paris and Harry Kim get together and play this this uh, serialized uh, Flash Gordon yes. sort of uh, uh, adventure setting. But um, in the Bride of Chaotica, the whole crew gets in on the act for. Reasons that I'm sure are explained in science fiction uh, terms. Very important, very scientific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, so, yes, uh, thank you for joining us here this week to discuss uh, not only two episodes of Prodigy, but also um, uh, what the holodeck means within the Star Trek world and what it uh, means to us. So we've only got two more episodes to go, the two uh, big season finale two-parter for I'm Prodigy. I'm so excited. I have not been excited for a finale of a Star Trek season this way in quite some time. Yeah, this has actually worked its way. It's been a beautiful journey that we've been going on to get to this point of they're in Federation space, the Federation is there, you know, Kate Mulgrew, as Janeway knows everything, but she's imprisoned. It's going to be great to see how it all plays out. And this is a kid's yep. show. Nickelodeon are doing this with, uh, with, um, with Paramount. God bless them. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we got to sign off so we can go and watch this new Star Trek. <laughs> what are we doing here? We should go watch them. <laughs> See you next time. See you, Rob. <laughs>